0: Let us pray. This is a prayer from Charles Wesley. Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, This is the final and third installment of uh, a short series I'm doing called Music Questions for the Church. Someone pointed out I did do a class uh, in mid-January on art and said you know this kind of, that kind of was a, a, a precursor to what I'm doing here so you can almost say it was a little bit of a four-part series three and a half maybe I agree with that um, but today the topic is may we retune old hymns um, and I uh, phrased it as such. Um, like, I'm asking permission. Because <laughs> uh, I could, and someone put a typo, because I never typed it this way. Someone put a typo in the, the newsletter that came out this week. What if we re- retuned Old hymns? Uh, and that that's not what I uh, want to ask, but you could ask that, or could we? And the answer is yes, we could. Um, uh, so um, I'm saying may we. Um, good morning. So glad you all are here. Uh, this is just a funny little thing. I always, if, you, if you've never been to my class before, I try to put something with humor up first That's may or may not be related to the topic. I don't know if you can read that, but official worship signals and it's rookie, intermediate, pro and expert. And you can see the, you know, like a, the elbow flap to touchdown is like the extremes. <laughs> I've never even, I only do that when I'm celebrating, you know, like stand up I've never quite gotten there. You know? <laughs> uh, last time, if you were here, this is kind of ridiculous, but I think it actually ex- sort of explains what I'm trying to do. If you were here the first time, I talked about two songs by two artists, um, both called Take Me to Church, and their names are Hosier and Sinead O'Connor, whom you probably are more familiar with. Um, and then uh, the, the second installment, last week, I talked about indie uh, folk music. Uh, and the thing I tried to explain is that folk used to kind of mean something uh, specific in terms of, uh, you know, the the explicit nature of the music. But now it's more of an ethos, um, and there is still something folksy about indie folk music. But the 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 boundaries are blurry. It has something more to do with kind of the uh, the culture surrounding that music and coming from the secular world. uh, And yet, and you'll see in in new indie folk revival music, um, Christian themes kind of pop their head up every once in a while. And today I'm going to talk about retuned hymns, um, meaning old hymns, some of them quite old, that uh, people are putting to modern arrangements. And so you can kind of think about like, what I was talking about with Hozier and Sinead O'Connor, like here in this blue circle, and indie folk rock here, and retuned hymns here in this yellow circle. And the, the thing has to, the, the thing I'm trying to get at is what do we do about people who are a lot like Hozier and Sinead O'Connor, um, in terms of their personality and where they uh, stand in life in terms of philosophy. Hozier was quite nihilistic. Um, and probably sees no hope in the church. Sinead O'Connor, although t- saying take me to church, I think still in terms of the, the lyrics that she's writing, again, I, I, I try to give the caveat, I don't want to psychoanalyze these um, artists, but what they're writing says something about culture and people that are out there. Um, Sinead O'Connor is more of a sort of confusion maybe and trying to find answers in terms of uh, her inside of herself. Uh, Maybe something like self actualization, but still desiring a community that's nice, you know, that won't burn her. Take me to church. You know, does that mean the church itself? Does that mean the music industry or, um, you know, a, a group of people who are not going to alienate her when so many institutions have? Uh, and then indie folk rock, um, what I was trying to say is I, I feel like that genre of music speaks to people who are a lot like them. And then what do we do when they come to church? <laughs> or would they ever, you know? And if we're playing either like really old stuff like we do here in the morning, which I find beautiful, by the way, um, or uh, mainstream contemporary Christian music that um, uh it's kind of oftentimes to someone who is either a bit nihilistic or confused, it sounds, it seems a bit like a Cheshire cat, Um, you know, just smiling in your face, but the world actually is a hell in a handbasket, you know, and so it's hard to kind of, to be right there with everyone else, you know. (laughs) Oh, praise him when I'm like really uh, confused and depressed and think that the world actually isn't going so swell. It's just really difficult to lift my arms like that. Are you tracking with me here? Uh, that there's a progression um, trying to uh, get to a specific audience of people. And actually, and I think that retuned hymns, so that's kind of the sweet spot there, right? But I think that retuned hymns do speak to a, a, a large audience um, intergenerationally, not just young people in particular, although it often does. Um, and so, I uh, just uh, said an awful lot. Let me just uh, set the stage for you culturally. This is from an episode of um, South Park, uh, where Eric Cartman creates a, a contemporary worship band called Faith Plus One. Um, remember, what was it, uh, Turn It Up to 11? You know, it's kind of like that. Um now, South Park created an episode like this because there, there's, there, uh, there is something to criticize about contemporary Christian music. Otherwise, it wouldn't be funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christians, how we feeling today? <laughs> yeah.
1: Praise Praise well, let's keep this salvation train going with the hot man sanctified. Uh, uh,
2: apparently, there's been a change. Give it up for faith. Plus one. You know, Jesus, I've been thinking a lot about you lately.
3: Well, that's why I wrote this song.
4: I love
3: you, Jesus. I want you to walk with me. I take good care of your baby. I'll call you my baby, baby.
0: I thought about like what uh, contemporary Christian song can I bring in to kind of pick apart, and I thought you you might like that song. <laughs> so I'm just gonna go with this, and you you kind of get what I'm talking about, hopefully. Um, to add some meat to the bones, though, I'm gonna play a short interview for you with a guy named Michael Gungor, who I did talk about in that class back in January that I alluded to. Uh, when I was talking about art but his art is actually music and he happens to be a Christian and um, he uh, wrote a blog post several years ago where he was criticizing the contemporary praise and worship music culture although he himself is a member of it and so it's always good when someone who's an insider does that um, versus the outsider because um, you know he has the authority and so here he's kind of explaining himself a little bit more.
5: Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Gregg, the Faith and Culture editor of FaithFillage.com, and today we're talking with Michael Gunger, the lead singer of the band Gunger. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, sure. And now you guys have done some amazing stuff. Uh, y'all, y'all just got done with the tour with the Crowder band recently. with Their last big, big hooray. And uh, there, who really comes to mind when I hear y'all's music as somebody who kind of redefined the genre. I mean, how did how did uh, you approach worship music when you first got into it, and and uh, as far as doing something different?
6: I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I I grew up in the church playing music. I I learned music and my faith kind of at the same time. So mm-hmm. it was always they were always very connected to each other. Um, but now I just kind of see it as I mean, music is is music to me. And when people ask like, is it worship music? And for me, it is because there's like an offering that happens, like that worship. I, can happen through the music Mm. um and so we just try to make and i and i hope that happens with other people i hope that our music you know can help inspire and open other people's hearts as well um but not we just you know we're just trying to make music that's honest and, and true to who we are and um and hopefully that will help inspire worship for people too so there's no like formula or like marketing plan or something. Yeah,
5: that's, that's just what came out. So, yeah. well, that's cool. Um, you wrote a really interesting blog a couple months ago that, uh, you know, we passed it around in our circles of friends going, oh, this is awesome, have you seen this yet, where you you kind of went off, I mean, it was pretty long, but it was good, and you talked about, uh, you know, contemporary Christian music, and you had, you know, some issues with it, and you addressed a couple of things. So, yeah. one, one of your quotes that really stood out was, I find something very disingenuous about most Christian music. So, for people who have just read this, like what? Could you go into that a little bit, like how that started? You were talking about listen, you can you can recognize a Christian song when you put it on the radio. And yeah, I mean,
6: certainly that's not. Uh, I, I was less interested in, uh, you know, bashing like Christian music. There's a lot of there's a lot of Christian musicians that I really love, and a lot of music that's been really inspiring for me through my life. That's that people have labeled Christian music. Sure. Um, but, yeah, there's something dangerous about uh, music that becomes about a message rather than when it becomes primarily about a message it can easily turn into like a
1: jingle hmm. you
6: yeah. know uh-huh. like, uh, or like a it kind of loses some of its soul hmm. like I used the analogy of a zombie in that in that blog hmm. where it's like you take pieces of this body kind of this way, like a Frankenstein kind of thing, like assemble it for your own purposes of having it. It's the body. It looks like you took a little bit of hardcore music and a little bit of blah, 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 but it's really only to try to use it to communicate a message. It becomes like kind of this soulless propaganda sometimes. Hmm. Um, and to me, Christian music should be about, I mean, a, a christian <laughs> making music <laughs> it's yeah. like that means something to them it's yeah. truthful and honest and and um, you know coming from from uh, from that from that place of a christian should have the like to me the story of christ um, the story of the resurrection and, and like that should inspire courage artistically like it's all things becoming new it's the the opening of the imagination to like even death doesn't have the last word like this is an entirely new world should be this we have this inspiration of newness and intended sometimes instead we tend to let faith devolve into this kind of dry dead fundamentalism that is just static and concrete and and then now we have to take this dead static thing and try to make it into art and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so uh, I just hear it, I think a lot of, uh, that blog, you guys weren't the only ones reading it. I didn't know many people would read it when I wrote it, but it, within the first couple of days, I had like oh, 50,000 hits yeah, on it or there something. There was like. like a thousand
5: comments. Yeah. It. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, that's cool because you were actually, you were responding to the ones. <laughs> I was trying to. Comments, I so. finally gave up, but I was like, <laughs> uh,
6: but it was what it showed me was like this is a conversation people evidently wanted to have. For sure. and I'm actually writing finishing a book right now. Oh, cool. Kind of about some of that better written. The blog was a rant, just a yeah. moment. Uh, but but I think there's something to like rather uh, we try to make even on our taglines and our radio stations and stuff it's safe for the family, mm-hmm. safe for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's the safe family values sort of thing. Which yeah. is fine. There's room for music in the world like that. I don't know how that got equated with Christian. Mm. Like, Christianity had never been a safe... I mean, it never used to be. Yeah. You used to get killed <laughs> for your faith. It was a very dangerous, revolutionary way of living in the world. Not this, like, we'll, we'll chop off the, the teeth mm. and, and make it really safe for everybody to listen yeah. to and then cuddly nobody mm. will get offended. Yeah. Um, and so I think with that, I just think we're losing something of what faith is supposed to be.
0: Okay, so I've set up the problem, um, and, and I like what he says there when he wrote the blog post, because it elicited so much reaction, um, that's at least evidence that this is a conversation that people want to have. So so you get the problem in terms of... Um, Uh, contemporary uh, Christian music culture, what's a possible solution? Um, And the one that I present to you today isn't the only one, um, yet it's one that I find attractive and theologically rich, which is um, a, a movement that kind of came out of the 1990s, especially in a college campus ministry called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship, which is associated Uh, most closely with the PCA denomination of Presbyterianism, um, where they took old hymn texts, some of them um, not even having the the musical settings, just the text. Like Andrew referenced the Olney hymnal in his sermon, if you're at the 9 a.m., we'll listen to one song from the Olney hymnal. For example, if you look at the Olney hymnal, it's the text. So what settings you put it to is a different story. Do you know that about hymns? There's the text and the music. The text is the hymn, and you can put it, you can set it to a lot of different musical settings. Um, It just so happens that a lot of songs get most closely associated with a particular musical setting. and you could probably think of a lot of some of them you just don't want to change you know like a mighty fortress is our god people will kill you um, you know I mean because it's emotionally it's so enmeshed with that setting but there are others where the setting is eas- is sort of maybe is just not working anymore to communicate the emotion that it's after um, maybe it sounds too dirgy you know Um, or uh, it just, uh, you know, might sound really good to guitars and a drum set, but not with that setting, with a different one, with a more modern rock melody. And the the organization that's doing the sort of, is the poster child for this, is Indelible Grace, which is based out of RUF at Belmont University in um, in Nashville. And they did a a hymn sing uh, at the Ryman, this is the Ryman Auditorium, man, I would have loved to have been there, (laughs) sold out. And so we're going to listen to two recordings from that hymn sing, and to those two songs, an introduction that Kevin Twitt, who's kind of the leader of Indelible Grace and also the RUF pastor at Belmont, he gives really good sort of two-minute intros to each of these songs, which are examples of retuned hymns. And I'm forgetting to, I have lyrics for y'all. Um, the first one, I was going to show that, but we we probably don't have enough time. The first one, um, is probably their most popular, and so uh, I'm going to, hopefully you'll feel that, like I do, that it's a real barn buster, you know, and so I'm going to start on a high note, not on a, (laughs) on a downer, a love that will not let me go, and we're going to listen to Kevin Twitt's intro from the hymn sing first.
1: Oh, love that will not let me go. This um, hymn was written by George Matheson, who um, began to lose his sight at seminary, ended up eventually going blind. He was engaged to a woman who left him, said that she didn't want to be married to a blind man, and he wrote this hymn on the night of his sister's wedding. His sister had li- lived with him and taken care of the house, but now she was gone off to her own life, and he was home alone. And he said that something of incredible sadness passed between him and the Lord. He said this hymn came to him almost like it was dictated in a matter of about 15 minutes. But I wanted you to notice there's a particular line we're going to get to in verse 3 where it says, I trace the rainbow to the rain. And that image of the rainbow there in Genesis in the Noah story, it's not like a little bow like you might wear in your hair. Um, it's the word for a battle bow. And the picture that God gives us that he'll never destroy the world again by a flood is a picture of a battle bow cocked and aimed at himself. And what the cross is, is that that battle bow has been loosed but not on us. So when trials come, we don't just try and keep our head up. We grab hold of the covenant promise, the proof that God loves us, is that all the promises of the Bible are yea and amen in Christ, right? Including including that one, that he would never destroy the world because he destroyed His son. Therefore, um, as one of the Puritans used to say, if you don't understand justification by faith, it makes every trial a double trial, because not only are you enduring the trial, you're having to wonder if God hates me, but if Jesus died in your place, you know that his wrath has been fully poured out on his son, right? So we have a love that will never let us go, because we have a love that let the son go in our place.
0: So you hear the theology behind it, and I hope you'll recognize that when you read the text, the the richness of the theology in a lot of old hymn texts is where a lot of the power lies. And then I hope you'll recognize the modern musical setting that is akin to that indie folk stuff that I was talking about last time. The next one is not uh, one of their more well-known hymn settings, Um, however, I think that the text is so amazingly countercultural to our ears, Um, and you'll hear Kevin talk about it here, Basically, I don't think anybody would write a contemporary praise and worship song that says the stuff that this hymn says. Most people don't say the stuff that this hymn says, and yet, therefore, it's pastoral. Um, and it's written by John Newton, the same guy who wrote Amazing Grace, and, and it's just like by the grace of God. You could, Whenever a coincidence happens in the church, I'm like, that's providence, because... Andrew mentioned the story in his sermon today. If you're at the 9, you'll hear it at the 11 if you haven't. That's behind this hymn. Um, So let's listen to uh, what Kevin Twitt says about it.
1: One of the things we love about these hymns is the way they so honestly deal with struggle. And John Newton, who wrote this hymn, had a great friend, William Cooper. Some of you may know William Cooper. He wrote a lot of really amazing hymns. Um, And they set out together to put together a a book of hymns. And in the preface to that book, Newton says that it wasn't just to be a collection of hymns for people to, to have and use in their churches, though it was partly that, but they also intended this only hymn book to be a testament to a great friendship. And yet the problem was they hadn't gotten very far on their project of writing these hymns and this hymn book together when William Cooper went insane. And Newton says in the preface that he almost just gave up on the project. He put it aside for a long time. If he'd never finished it, we would never have hymns, not only this one, but hymns like Glorious Things as are Spoken, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder, and How Sweet the Name Jesus Sounds, and There's a Fountain Filled with Blood, and Even Amazing Grace. I mean, just amazing hymns that came out of this collection. But in the the preface there, Newton says that they had started on this project and it seemed that the Lord was pleased to cross their fair design as you're going to see, when we sing this hymn, there's a line in there about, I asked the Lord that I might grow, and he seemed to cross my fair design. He seemed to go out of his way to make it more difficult for me. And he cries out to the Lord. And even we can use these words tonight to cry out to the Lord, why? And have him answer back, it's because I love you. And the truth of that is Jesus on the cross. Not your feelings wonderful. We just sang, you know, on Christ the Solid Rock about, you know, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know, a frame is like an emotional state. We don't tr- despise sweet frames, but we don't trust in them. We trust in Jesus. And um, this is a great hymn about trusting, but about how trusting often is through heartache and with tears.
0: So this is I Ask the Lord. <clears throat> I uh, always keep planning more material than I need. Um, <laughs> uh, rather than cutting off uh, the last two songs, I- I'm going to play one of the last two. Um, this Just so you can see uh, another place where this stuff is coming from. It's not all from Indelible Grace. Uh, another place that I really like is uh, Christ Church in Charlottesville where, where Paul Walker, who used to be a canon here, is now the rector um, and... Um, they uh, the church is on High Street and so they have a movement there called High Street Hymns in their evening service. Um, they play this kind of music and other things. And probably the most popular song to come from them is By Thy Mercy and so many people love it. And so that's why I wanna play it for you today. And we sang it when we were in labor. Yeah, Holly sang it when she was in labor. <laughs> the second child. Like child. By thy mercy, see Lord. by thy mercy O deliver us um so and with two thoughts you know uh when the world around is smiling in the time of wealth and ease earthly joys our hearts beguiling in the day of health and peace by thy mercy oh deliver us now i think that's that verse that third verse in the song is kind of uh, describes what i'm trying to get out here i hope you see that um and one last thought, out of Christchurch, a new project is um, called Love and Mercy, where they're actually taking a lot of the kind of music that I talked about last time and playing it in the church. Um, so that fourth song that I put the lyrics in is actually from Johnny Cash. but um, And they'll play this music like during the offering. Because they're not really hymns. They're not always great for singing congregationally. They're more performance-based Um And I just think that's so cool. (laughs) Um, And they're not picking just any song. They're picking songs that really speak to the gospel. Um, So, may we retune old hymns. I open it up to discussion. And by the way, can we go, do you mind if we go until 1055? If anybody wants to sneak out, um, you know, feel free. But I just want to give us a little bit of time to discuss. I noticed it. Yes. Kevin Twitt is one of the Ke- the Lenten speakers. Thank you for saying that. Uh, and while he's in town, I've taken advantage of that. Um, I'm doing a three-part uh, evening series. March, uh, I, I'm not putting the April one up because the April one has <coughs> nothing to do with music, at least not out of the gates. And then May, uh, th- three uh, events in the evening that are related to arts and culture. Two of them just so happen to be related to music, probably because I like music. And so I asked Kevin to, to come in the evening while I was in town for uh, the Latin Preaching Series in Clingeland Commons, and we're going to do kind of a hymn sing uh, like he did at the Ryman, but a little more stripped down and more interested in him giving his commentary. So we'll probably sing three or four songs. Um, the, the folks who do our music at the evening worship service will do that, and I'm going to do an interview with Kevin about the retuned hymns movement. And David Zoll, uh, son of Paul Zoll, who used to be the dean here, just came out with his first book called A Mess of Help, The Crucified Soul of Rock and Roll. So he's coming in May, and I'm going to do a similar event with him where I interview, and he'll do a book reading. Um, so if you want to learn more about this stuff, especially the, the one in uh, March, please come to that. Any other thoughts, though, on, on this sort of genre of uh, modern expression of uh, worship music? Your son hated it. No, I don't
2: know if this is what they play. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. Uh, he, he would be all about the Johnny Cash. But I think <laughs> he's more about, like, when you were first talking about the contemporary Christian
0: music. Oh, so he's used to that. And, then you know, granted, he like. oh, oh, he doesn't like contemporary Christian yeah. music. Okay. So well, I think
4: he might. I don't, I'll be interested to know if this style they play is on this.
0: Yeah, you never know. Yeah. I mean, just because it's RUF doesn't mean they're doing the RUF hymn book, uh, per se, um, though I'd be surprised.
2: Well, when did him to be, or the introduction of hymns become part of the worship in the Anglican Church? And I mean, actually having the congregation sing. Because I mean, that's still in that 18th century, or is it earlier than that? I, I, yeah, I, I, I
0: think you're right. That, me, that you know, there was a time where they wouldn't have even always necessarily been playing it to an organ. You know. The, um, the clerk might have been singing the psalms really badly see, or something. I'm
2: not, I'm not worried as much about the, the changing of the the, the music. I mean, yeah. If you have an ambic tetrameter line or an ambic pentameter or whatever you can find music that will do that and I think mm. it's fantastic. I'm more concerned about the alteration of the text because every time in the 82 i will always look down at the bottom and see that letters A-L-T means that something in the text of the him has been all the right. things have been, you know, changed in some way. And I'm more interested in, you know, what right. has happened to that versus, you know, the original hymn and the 40 hymnal or, you know, mm-hmm. the earlier versions of that.
0: Yeah, well, and so a couple of things with respect to what I'm talking about here. If you go back to a Love That Will Not Let Me Go, that was originally O Love That Wilt Not Let Me Go. Now, I'm not going to lose sleep over that no. one. You know what I mean? Um, The other thing you'll see that you don't see in the three songs that I brought in here, but in some others, is they'll pull a verse and make it a chorus. Because hymns don't have choruses necessarily, but modern music does. Um, And so is that doing damage to the text? I don't think so, because you're just singing a verse over and over again. I mean, it's kind of like we do actually sometimes things uh, with the Psalms antiphonally, you know. But what you're talking about is usually more about theology, um, where...
2: I, I do think that the, of course, the, the Book of Common Prayer's got great theology, and I think, for the most part, the selection, the hymns in the 82 hymns are still, you know, tracks Still that.
0: pretty good, yeah.
2: The, the key is to sort of match the hymn with whatever the, the, the season is or the right. lessons are, and I think that's what would be particularly good here is the, the, the offertory anthem and how that has... Uh, seized on either the, the, the themes of the theology of the, the lessons or the season. Uh-huh. I just think that that's what I'm more interested in, is how how the singing and the, the, the hymnody, uh, you know, deepens the uh, theological or the worship experience.
0: Right, and so actually this is something of a, of a step backward in a good way, the retuned hymns movement, because you are seeing... Um, things that are associated with this hymnody uh, that are keeping in mind things like the liturgical calendar and whatnot, whereas um, contemporary praise and worship, uh, not so much. It's just kind of the songs that we like. We sing the same 40 ones over and over again. Maybe we sing some other ones during Christmas, you know. But And maybe we'll keep in mind Easter and so do things with resurrection theme. But the, the, the hymns allow for a richer liturgical expression. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Any, anybody hate what I'm doing here? I think that this is actually like, this is a bad idea. Um, you know, I mean, if you want to push back on me, that's that's fine. And i I uh, just say that um, I have an agenda. You know, um, this is the kind of direction we're heading in with the 5 o'clock worship service. Uh, that's not to say that we're going to throw out everything that we've done before. It's just rather than um, pulling from uh, stuff that came out of the like 1970s renewal movement, or pulling from stuff that's from contemporary praise and worship, when we're introducing new music, we're, I'm asking our musicians to go here, at least for a little while, to create a baseline. Because the thing about this stuff is, when you get when you get it down, then you need to start having an indigenous expression of. Retuning your own stuff and, um, you know, the, the indelible grace, RUF stuff, if that's all you did, could get stale after a while. Do you catch what I'm saying? It's good that any individual congregation keep in mind what they're um, trying to do. Yeah, Charlie.
2: Uh, I should had one quick comment. It seems like Kevin Twitt is, has one kind of movement where he's taking old hymns and a right. kind of, you know, certain type of music on it, and then Gunger is going with is brand new music. Christian makes brand totally. New music. So yeah. What is the the connection between the two, as far as
0: right? Well, I brought that clip in because of what he was saying, and not because of his music. But you're right, and uh, that's why I said uh, I don't know if you were, you came in a couple minutes after we started, but something I said in the beginning is now I presented the problem, and this is one possible solution. There are others, and what. Okay. Gungor's is doing is saying, how can we continue to make praise and worship music that has depth to it, both musically and theologically? And so he's making brand new music, um, and some of it's really good. Um, and there are other people out there like that. So that's another possible solution. Yeah, well, Stephen. For me,
5: is is, is uh, making me focus more on the lyrics because you grow up and you know, same tune, you think they have is the tune, like you said. But right, but um, you put the lyrics, and you have to actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this morning we sang Christ whose glory fills the skies. Another one that High Street Hymns does is called Day Spring, which is Christ whose glory's, glory fills the skies. And that one's really good too. And I hear it a totally different way when I sing it either way. Um, so there's a beauty in retuning it in that you start to focus on the, the the text more than maybe you did before. Well, I've kept you to 1056. It's a minute longer than I said. Uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord.
4: Thank you.